Men's mental health matters. Live life with an outback mind. Thank you so much for joining in, guys. Episode 208 today with Mr. Dane Muller. Now, I often talk about uh, guys needing guidance, men needing guidance. A lot of us come into adult life and we really haven't got a clue what we're doing, you know. Uh, We think we do, but we don't. Um, Not many of us have, you know, I suppose, strong role model uh, fathers uh, primarily, you know. It's very rare to have a really great mentor, great leader as a father. Um, A lot of our fathers, you know, um, had it pretty tough in their young day and obviously their fathers did as well. A lot of their fathers went to war and a lot of that trauma gets sort of passed on to them and into us. And um, we've got a great opportunity and a great moment in time to be able to break cycles. So I really believe it's, uh, it's important for someone that's at the crossroads that wants to make changes for them to get a mentor and get someone to guide them through so they can actually come out a better person, more aware, awake and observant of their emotions and behaviours. That not only just improves them as an individual, it improves the lives of everyone around them. So today I have Dane Muller on with me. Now Dane has had his own lived experience um, and now he's doing what he can to be able to help other people um, move through uh, stuck emotions, some traumatic experiences that may be blocking them. Uh, and to be able to sort of be more self-aware, I think it's really, really key and important. I had someone help me about 10 years ago. I had a lady actually um, guide me through some stuff. It was more on the spiritual side of things, and it actually really helped me. It was a big investment. You know, it took me a lot of courage to actually uh, open up my wallet and uh, and spend the money, but uh, it was probably the best uh, money that I'd spent because it actually gave me the ability to sort of unlock a few things that were blocked within me uh, and start to wake me up to stuff that I probably already knew that was stuck that wasn't able to be exposed and uh, and uh, and released so you know uh, again if you're at the crossroads or if you just want to try and improve your life I really encourage you engaging with someone that can help you so Dane's going to talk about his uh, journey today uh, and what he's doing now and if you like what you hear I really encourage you to get in, uh, get hold of him and uh, and follow up uh, with him with a with a consult session or something uh, that uh, might be able to give you a bit of an idea about how he can help you. So, really appreciate your feedback. If you'd like to let me know your thoughts, uh, best to email support at outbackmind.org.au. If you would like to help us out with a donation, uh, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, I don't really make any money uh, doing what I do. Um, the foundation is. Uh, setting up to try and help more men throughout regional Australia and we really need support to do that. So if you'd be kind enough to help us out, really be grateful. Best to jump on the website support at out, uh, sorry, outbackmind.org.au. If you just jump on outbackmind.org.au, you'll see some information on how you can help. So really appreciate that. Righto, thanks for listening in. G'day, Dane. How are you, mate? Fantastic, mate. Yourself? Very well. Very pleased to have you along to talk about... Yeah, no, mate, to talk about some important stuff, um, you know, uh, and uh, as I sort of said in the intro, uh, a lot of uh, men in general, if we line five men up to be three or four, they probably would say they never had strong leadership as, as a young fella, you know, and uh, that sort of takes yeah. you into adult life and we end up confused and, you know, <laughs> not really knowing how to go about it too well, so it's a, it's a great thing that you're doing. Now, mate, um, 
I'd like to hear about your own journey. Like, where were you from as a young fellow? What was your childhood like? Mate, I am a country boy originally, born in Coonabarabra in, in country New South Wales. Mm. Uh, lived, was born there. That's where my, most of my family are from. Uh, lived in Walgut to begin with. So born in Coonabarabra, lived in Walgut, and then spent a lot of time in and around Tamworth till I was about seven or eight years old. Mm. Uh, I grew up in a policing family. Uh, Dad was a police officer of 40 years and uh, mate, had, a, had a great childhood. I, I really did. I didn't miss out. We were a family. We had didn't have a lot, but what we did have was enough for us. Uh, I never missed. I didn't miss out on anything um, in the sense of my parents just tried to provide as much as they could for us, which was fantastic. So there's, I had grew up with two sisters. I was a middle child. Uh, I was very, very active young fella, really had a bright future in a sporting arena uh, coming through school and high school. There was possibilities of playing um, foot rugby league professionally and uh, a few other bits and pieces like that. So childhood was really good. Um, like a lot of kids, I, I obviously had my ups and downs, and uh, yeah. Mm, mate, uh, with regards to your dad being in the in the police force, did he have some challenges himself that, uh, that you may not have probably really been aware of at the time, but did you see him struggling with some of the things uh, at home, maybe to deal with his job? You know what? Dad's... dad's back from the era of wooden ships and iron men uh, and being a, a very much country boy at heart he's held his emotions on the inside so growing up i didn't see a lot of that mm. uh, probably more so now what i'm he's 65 dad's um he's he's actually not long hasn't got a lot long left he's he, he got diagnosed with cancer a few years back and mm. uh, recently just been given three to six months so it's probably more in the last five or six years that he's probably opened up a little more mm. uh so yeah growing up there was never a lack of love or showing love towards myself from dad you just didn't hear a lot of uh if he was struggling or if there was something at work that that bothered him or anything like that. I'd more so, probably when I was around, say, 15 to 17, I'd hear from other work colleagues about things they may have done and how bad it was or, or, or something like that. It was never really through him. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, mate. And uh, your dad's a bit younger than mine. Um, but, yeah, my old man, uh, he was a, a great person, a uh, really great person. Well, he is. He's still yep. alive, but he's, he's struggling. But... Um, but primarily, uh, yeah, the emotional side of things never came out. You know, it was uh, he, he processed things with a with a with a tankard of beer and sit there and watch the news and <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, and yeah you know. Yeah. So, but we never really were able to have uh, deep conversations. And I never heard, you know, I love you from either of my parents. You know, and um, yeah, oh, I think and that's, that, not that's their, yeah, not their fault. That's not right. their, no, that's not their fault either. That's just how they're brought up, and that's. What they've been—that's their imprinted on them through their their family and their fathers and their fathers' fathers. So it's just, it, and and again, it rolls onto into people like you and I, and yes. it just um, it's just the way society has taught our fathers in the past to father. Yes, and mate, you know what's amazing is the the groundswell of people like yourself now that are standing up 
because what we're wanting wanting to do now is break those cycles because those cycles you know like dad's father probably went to war he did and you know his father uh, had a traumatic experience and that gets passed on but if we can basically interrupt that now it's going to have a tremendous effect for the future generations uh, you know moving forward oh that's it yeah and a lot what a lot of people aren't aware of and that's and that's fine and that's why people like you and i hear that generational trauma is passed on mm. So it, that's and that's a huge thing. A lot of a lot of people don't know that when there are issues that might be coming up, may not even be their issues. It's something that their their father or their mother has passed on to them unknowingly that they haven't dealt with in their past. Yes, that's right, absolutely, mate. And you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't you know something that was common. You know, look at how much change has happened over the last thirty years, forty, fifty years. Uh, you know, mate, we, we had, oh, I remember TV getting introduced primarily, you know, so <laughs> so everything was pretty simple until then, you know, but uh, everything sort of opened up uh, a lot, you know, so yes. people, are, you know, particularly guys are quite um, confused with regards to their roles in life and, and how to manage it properly moving forward, you know, so, so yeah. mate, um, what was it like for you as you sort of got into adulthood, what did you do with yourself? Mate, I... We, we moved to the Gold Coast uh, when I was around eight, seven or eight, and that sort of that opened up a lot of doors and different avenues for me coming from such a small country town to the big city, I guess. So that was a bit back, back in 1989, 1990, mm. a while ago now. Mm. And, again, um, the sporting arena was huge for me growing up. And it was a big release also. It was how I my mates meant a lot to me that I met through playing rugby league. I had, like I said, I've ha- I had two sisters. My older sister had a pretty troubled uh, past with uh, running away from home, drugs and all that type of thing. So parents were always concentrating on, on them, on her, sorry. And my younger sister from a young age had a lot of uh, health issues growing up. So she's 37 now and still under full-time care from my parents. Mm. So just to give you an idea. So they've had... It had a lot on their plate to deal with, and I guess because I was so, uh, I was doing really well with all my sporting, and I always had my mates to lean on and rely on. I guess, in a sense, I didn't. Not that my parents didn't worry worry about me; they just saw on the outside that yeah, I was doing good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, which later in life, I found out I wasn't, and that and, and it slowly come to the surface, so. Were your siblings resentful of you? No, I definitely, definitely not. Uh, my older sister, no, not at all. My younger sister, no, she just, she didn't have the capacity or doesn't have the capacity to be resentful. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I think the biggest issue with my older sister and how she rebelled was, because my parents had to spend so much time looking after my younger sister that she felt left out, and that was her way of trying to get attention. Yeah, and and so being, then, yeah, I was going to say being on the Gold Coast, the amount of influences uh, would have been, you know, pretty attractive for her to, to go out and muck around, you know. Very easy to do that on the Gold Coast. Yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, amazing, yeah. mate. Mate, um, thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, no one really has a, a you know a flowing childhood with no interruptions or disturbances at all. You know, but uh, no, not at all. What happened, mate, with regards to your own journey? So, what happened with uh, with your work life and and from there? Right. To be honest, my my journey of uh, I guess of myself really started when I was 
in year five when I was around 10 or 11. I, like, I, like I've mentioned, I, when you're that age at school, if you're the fastest runner, fastest swimmer, really good at all sports, you, you're always popular. Mm. And, that, and for the case, that was, that was me. I was fastest swimmer, fastest runner, made all the rep teams of football. Anything I did in that sporting general area for school, I'd always succeed in. And that's how I gained my popularity, I guess. Year five, there was a t- t- time in the year where uh, I got, I started getting teased a lot, teased and picked on. It was happened at a birthday party. I can remember the night. Started getting teased, and it just, and it, it was a group, and a group of my mates, and just it was relentless. And then got to school on the Monday, and then all these teasing just kept on. It just stuck all these names and teasing and stuff like that. And in my head, I'm like, hey, what, what's going on here? How is this happening? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I've gone from being, and this is a 10 or 11-year-old kid, you don't really have the, the resources yet to handle or deal with it and process it. And this went on, this tormenting for the entire year. And it just, it was horrible, absolutely horrible. Horrible to the point of me sitting in a shower by myself every night in tears, wanting to wanting to end my life because mm. I couldn't handle it anymore. Mm. And that, as a 10 or 11-year-old, it's, it's not right. Mm. Yeah. So that started then, and we fortunately, uh, we moved to Sydney at the end of grade five, and that was a massive relief for me. And um, it just meant that I wasn't going to get teased anymore. And unknowingly to me how much it actually affected my self-confidence that time. So being very not not confident in myself or my own abilities and thinking of how how my best friends could start this and torment me and tease me for that entire time that, why can't anyone do that to me so i was very closed off very uh, i'd still go out and do things and socialize and stuff like that but i was never any it was always at an arm's length mm, yeah that carried on into um teenage life and always just yeah, it just, there was a lot of things that I stopped myself from doing because of my my own self-confidence. There's a, a lot of things that I most likely should have continued on with, and football being one of them, I probably should have played professionally or for longer and better than I did. However, I just didn't believe in myself. There was no confidence. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, yes, and then moving on, that just, after and after not succeeding in football and thinking I let my father down, that just added to... The, the anxiety, the depression, the the lack of confidence, not thinking I'm good enough, just that self-worth piece. So this has been going on for 10, 11. This is all the time I'm 18. And it moved through right through my 20s uh, as well. So, mm, mate. yeah. Yeah, th- thanks for sharing and, and tough stuff too, mate. Uh, it's interesting, yeah, that, that torment, that bullying, because you think you're in a nice flow state with people and they can turn on you really quickly, Um it happened to me, I, you know, I just realised that when I was talking to you then, uh, you know, about a group of guys that, that started to do that when I was in grade five or something, they were a year younger, and yep. um, anyway, there was four or five of them, I stood up to one of them uh, one night on the way home from school, and that, that put the end to it, but uh, yep. but that silly pack mentality uh, needs, to yeah. be, needs to be stamped out, or recognised and stamped out if it isn't getting done now, but um, yeah, mate, the, the, the actual uh, flow and effect from that can be uh, can be pretty extensive, mate. So, so good on yeah. you for, uh, for for being brave enough to you know to, to share it. And 
what happened to you uh, with regards to you know flowing on from from eighteen uh, into your work life? Did you obviously um, you sort of bypassed sport and got into other things? Yeah, I mean, I, I played football up until I was uh, thirty, and just generally local league and stuff like that. Because I, lo- I generally loved loved playing footy, loved the camaraderie in it, that team team sense. So that that never stopped. Well, football wasn't going to be a career or bring in money for me. I needed to find a, a job, and that was uh, I would look at joining the police force myself. I always wanted to, and then uh, my father suggested a trade. He just he spent so much time in the police force; it wasn't something that he wanted for me. Uh, and I took his advice and went into uh, did my carpentry apprenticeship and spent twenty years in the building industry, um, which. I thought at times it was a job that I loved, and <laughs> I did not yeah. at all, looking back on it. It was just more, I was fortunate enough to, when I did my apprenticeship, be involved with a fantastic company with really, really good guys. I was 18, all these guys were mid-20s, and travelled, and just really, really fun group of guys. So I got that feeling of that uh, football team environment, like just that camaraderie again. So that I... And, and luckily, I had that in with a, a few different companies that I, I worked with and for. Uh, it was always great people. So I guess that's what I enjoyed about that instead of the actual work. Whereas actual work, when I'm looking back on it, it was just, for me, and there's nothing wrong with that industry, just for me, it wasn't it wasn't doing anything for me. And over time, that started weighing on, weighing on me. I had my own, uh, had my own build, building company for years and just the pressure and stress of that and pressure and stress of something that you don't like doing is a lot worse than pressure and stress from something that you do like doing. Yes. Mate, there's um, a big difference. Oh, there is. Pivotal moment. If your father had said to you, Dane, what do you love to do? You know, rather than why don't you go and get a trade, you know, what do you love to do and directed your life down that path? That would have been fantastic. And that's mm. something that's, uh, and I, I would have joined the police force. That's something I wanted to do. Um, and later on tried to do that again, which I'll get to that stage of the story as well. And my, both, I had two sons. I've got one, a seven-year-old and a three-year-old and a seven-year-old. And a few years ago, the seven-year-old would put his toy nail belt on and swing him. He's like, I'm going to be a builder like daddy. And I'd go, no, you're not, mate. Building's horrible. You don't want to do that. <laughs> I'd catch myself saying that. I'm like, no, I cannot tell my son not to do something yes. that he might want to do because I looked back on hearing that from my dad and I know, and I can and I make complete sense of why dad uh, was do that would, would say and do that because he feels about the police force as I do about the building industry yes yeah and uh, I don't want to make that decision for my sons yes. I want to I'll let them make that decision so that was a uh, that was a very pivotal moment for me uh, when I caught myself saying that I'm like oh, I can't do that I'm not going to do that mm, good on you mate good 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 to hear so, with regards to uh, your your career in the building industry, you probably would have uh, maybe struggled with uh, with you know issues of anxiety and depression if that was sort of evident in your, your earlier years. Perhaps with uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get diagnosed uh, with depression until a couple of years ago. I just something I've dealt with for most of my life. So it was just an everyday thing for me. It wasn't anything unusual. I didn't think I was. I knew, I knew that my thoughts weren't the best. Although if you were to ask anyone, and this is for a lot of people too that have and suffer with depression, you're happy on the outside. Mm. It's just everything on the inside. So 
there's lots of different forms of depression. So you you could ask any of my friends, my wife, anyone, they would have said no way that there's there's anything going on or wrong on with him. So mm. what, what what was yeah, going but, on, mate, for you? Like what what were some of the things that were happening? Just just my thoughts about myself mm. in particular. Yeah. Uh, a big again back on that self worth piece. I would blame the things around me for me not doing well or how I thought I should done instead of putting the taking ownership and accountability for myself not for creating those opportunities mm. it was never which is a big piece for everyone is not to play the blame game you, you definitely need to take accountability for why things don't happen in your life yes there are other outside circumstances of things that can help with not doing stuff but in in, in the end it's you yes. Yes. so I yeah, I had my own company for years, was getting sick and tired of it. I would made, made, made really good money, had great contacts, was getting great work. My effort into the company wasn't, I'd say, maybe 80%. It was never 100% and still was able to do well. And it got to a point where I was just sick of it. I'm like, I hate working for myself. I don't want to do this anymore. And then I thought that maybe moving into management again would be might spark that that fire or that so i end up moving into project management for a for a large building company here on the gold coast and uh to begin with yep new job new people was nice soon after yeah it wasn't (laughs) and this is around the time my second son was born and we had a very troubled pregnancy my wife suffered a fair bit and then we had an extremely um, traumatic childbirth mm. to the point of where I did not think I was leaving with my wife and my newborn son. Mm, shit. Uh, so anything, anything that could go wrong did go wrong and fortunately he's beautiful boy uh, and now three years old, healthy as just had, as soon as he was born, as soon as everything finished, he has not taken a backward step. Yes. Yeah. And with that situation, um, I developed post-traumatic stress. Mm. Uh, being in a situation of, it was literally like a scene from World War Two. There was no time for sterilisation. They were just cutting into my life with uh, no um, anaesthetic or anything like that. And this, and, and, and no fault to the uh, surgeons or the, the doctors there. They did everything they were supposed to do, and we're very grateful for them. And it's just one of those things that they had to do that to keep them both alive yes. pretty much so geez mate thanks yeah. for sharing that too <laughs> another thing for me like my when my first son was born the same sort of thing uh, and i didn't think he was going to make it and that was really traumatic and i struggled for a long time after that but i never had yep. any any counseling you know uh and that was 20 no. 21 years ago but but no one actually yep. gave me the the opportunity to be able to talk about it and when i did talk about it to my mother-in-law and that uh and her partner i got shut down you know yeah. so so that hung around for, with me for a long time and that was hard to let go you know so yeah um, it, is. it yeah. is there's some great outlets now especially we do some work for birth trauma australia who are trying to make it more aware that it's not just the females and mothers that deal with this it's the partner the birth partners the fathers as well yeah. like we're there in the room and that was a big thing for me because it took me 12 months uh to come out and say something after dealing i, I went from 
it was about three months after he was born, I started just reliving that experience. Mm. And it wasn't just that experience. It would be a dream of my wife and my son dying. And it would be any type of scenario, drowning, car crash or something like that. Mm. And it would go from dreams to nightmares. Then it would be go to daydreaming and thoughts. And then it was basically consuming my every day. Mm. And it was, it was leading me down a pretty dark path of destruction. My marriage was failing is the best way to put it. Mm. Um, my wife was suffering, my life was suffering, everything everything around me was suffering because I just wouldn't speak up. And then we, my wife and I, we were in marriage counselling at the time and I was in, I was, I was seeing someone professionally and I still wouldn't talk about it. And then it just come to a point when we were in a marriage counselling session, I just, I had, I said it and let it out and it was a major, major relief for me just mm. finally talking about it and it actually brought my wife and I closer together. Yeah. Knowing that, knowing that she she knew that I was dealing with this, and I just felt guilt because, again, I wasn't the person that gave birth and went through it. Or why should I have all these issues and problems when she was the one that had to do it? Yes. And knowing that, knowing now that it's more than okay, and a lot of men do have the similar similar issues. Yeah. Oh, mate. You know, look, I was I was stuck thinking my son was going to be disabled. And, yeah. and and the pride that I had was going to be tarnished because people would would judge me on that, and you know, and and coming from a small country town like where you're originally from, you know, people would judge you on on that sort of stuff, and, and that was the hardest yeah. thing, you know, like to actually overcome those sorts of thoughts. Um, yeah. uh, it's really really difficult, uh, and and being able to lock that up inside you or locking that up inside you is 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 not great, but that's what happened to me for a long time, and it was really hard to to uh to move through that you know it is it is mm, mate that's amazing well thank you very much and you know for sharing that and and you know thank you to your partner for sticking with you yeah i put her through a lot and yeah she's i'm here now today because of the woman that she is yeah so yep yeah mate well well done and um you know, this was three years ago. So your son's three now. So what? Well, actually, more probably two years ago that. Um, yeah, two years ago when yeah, I finally, finally started, started, started talking f- about it. Yeah. Flip about. So how's your life been since? What's what's changed for you? Everything's changed. So that like that that only opened up the gates for what I was dealing with. I was then probably three or four months after that diagnosed with depression and still had knit rock bottom. I was doing the work. And I wasn't putting in the work. I was. My wife was doing a lot of work for herself, and I was holding her hand, and she was dragging me along. Uh, and I was just just ticking ticking the boxes just to get stuff done. I hadn't really committed to bettering myself or working on myself. I was doing enough to keep those inner demons at bay. Mm. And it wasn't until probably another six months after that where I had really hit rock bottom, uh, and that, that suicidal ideation had really taken over, and just didn't feel like that I deserved to be here or I, no one no one would miss me what's the point of being here mm. why why would anyone miss me just all of that type of stuff and it was again my my wife again was pulling me along doing her best to keep me along and it wasn't until uh, one particular moment uh, like the bottom of the shower contemplating my life when she came in and she's like she tried everything and this is, and this was just for me. And this, this is what woke woke me up. Was she said that she's going to be here for me, mm. 
and ride it with me, but she couldn't ride it for me. You've got to do the work work yourself. Mm. And the words that really rang home, she's like, no one's coming. So no one's coming for you. We're all here, but no one's coming for you. You have to do the work. Mm. So that there was a bit of tough love there. She tried a lot, and it, and it, a little risky when someone is in that suicidal ideation. Though my wife knows me and knows me better than anyone, and that's what she was at. So mm. where she was at with it, and it was those words. I hated hearing it because I was like, why, why are you saying these things to me when I'm, all I'm wanting is help? Yes. And what I couldn't see was all the help was there. I just wasn't doing the work. Mate, you know, so, oh, mate, look, look, my wife went the other way and didn't didn't support me like that when I needed it. Yeah. You know, so you're so, so lucky. My, 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 we're still married, but we've been separated for about six or seven years. But, but yeah, like it was, I was going through similar things and, um, yep. and I wasn't getting those questions like your wife gave you. So, mate, you know, well done to her again. And, um, yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so that was, yeah, a couple of years ago, mate. So, so yeah. what, what happened? You had a clinical diagnosis and how did you move through things? I, well, I'd, I'd been seeing uh, a psych professionally for a, a little while and I was I actually started doing the work that they were doing and giving me and putting in those practices uh, that they asked me to do and that, and that was making a difference. And I just, I felt that that was great for a time and it would help uh, and it, yeah, it was really good and I just felt as I was sort of running around in circles where I still had these issues and thoughts and problems and it just wasn't wasn't clearing them. So they were always there and they just give you ways to mask it, I guess, which is great and was perfect perfect step forward for me. And we we decided more and my wife and she was uh, thirteen years as a nurse in the Air Force mm-hmm. and she's not wasn't liking her job either. So we decided to uh, sell up and get on the road. We bought a caravan and decided we'd start to travel until we found something that we were passionate about and how we wanted to make a difference. So what I forgot to mention was at the end of my building, uh, when I had enough, I I went to go join the police force, but then got offered a job in investigations and child protection. Mm. So I did a few few years there, really eye-opening job, saw some and dealt with some pretty uh, not nice things. And uh, for me, it was the most fulfilling job I've ever had because I, I knew and I felt like I was making a difference. So mm. making a difference and filling my own cup because I thought I was, yeah, yeah. I, I felt 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 worthy. So the agency I worked for ended up uh, didn't get a, didn't get a government grant um, approved again, so they, they had to close down, which was fine. And then we decided we get on the road, and I knew that I wanted to do something with helping people. Mm. Uh, my wife ended up doing her NLP practitioner's course and decided that she would move into coaching, coaching, mentoring, anything personal and professional development uh, she was doing. We have a lot of life experience. We've got a lot of different certificates under our belts and things like that, and she's a perfect person. She she gained a really organic, nice following on social media of around 40,000 in her audience and was able to connect with them and create this company started helping these women move through difficult times not on their own lives in their own lives and help them in their business as well so i was basically full-time parenting and unsure of what i wanted to do and it was i'd hear some of these women on these phone calls when they first began i could hear the sadness in their voice 
I'm like, oh, okay. And then like a week or two later, I'd come in and I'd recognise the voice. And I'd after the phone call, I'd say to my wife, "Is that was that so and so from a few weeks ago?" She's like, "Yes." I'm like, she just sounds like a different person. You could hear the happiness in her voice. Mm. And I'm like, I've got to do that. That's me. I I, I know that I can. I just I always felt that I was here for a purpose, and that purpose is being able to help people. And I and my wife being my biggest being my biggest inspiration. Uh, I said to her, I said, I need to go do this NLP practitioner's course and we're going to move into men's coaching as well, or men's mentoring. Mm. And, yeah. You haven't looked back. <laughs> it's been something that, uh, that you were aligned to all along, I suppose, by the sounds of it. And um, Yeah. Mate, um, so how's it been for you since you've actually done that? Have you had a lot of success with people being able to sort of guide them and, uh, and move through things? Definitely. So the NLP course for myself, uh, it's if, if people are unaware of what NLP is, it's neuro-linguistic programming. And we did an integrated course where it involves a lot of uh, breath work and just changing that, um, changing the thoughts and processes in your unconscious mind. Um, that was a massive game changer for me because I cleared... A lot of my childhood trauma, now trauma, my dad's trauma, my children's trauma. So I've cleared the path for my sons to have a fresh start and not carry my my issues. Mm. And being able to do that for our clients now is just amazing. So we've had clients come on and then now move into coaching as well. Mm, yeah, <laughs> isn't isn't that like, isn't that isn't that like cyclic changing, mate? Because you're not only helping them as individuals; they're actually like. Being able to be empowered to help other people, you know, and, and that's yes, yes. gross. How, how many people do you know that have gone down the clinical route of um, of maybe you know seeing a psychologist and not growing, uh, you know, or being medicated and not growing? Like to be able to actually use tools that um, that build self efficacy and uh, and and you know trust within yourself to be able to move through these things, I think, is so empowering. And um, yes. uh, yeah, yeah, you, you know, uh, I believe one one thing that changed for me about ten years ago, maybe a bit longer, I, I did um, uh, positive psychology. Uh, so I went and yep. studied that rather than clinical psychology. You know, yep. and uh, it was very very. Um, uh, developmental for me as an individual but it actually made me see life totally differently you know and uh, yep. I, I could see people going around in circles and being able to sort of disrupt that by giving them some um, some framework and, and pathways to, to move ahead and uh, and all people really need is that structure and guidance and it's just like that, that lady that your wife had on the phone in two weeks they can just be out of a hole and back into uh, the fire you know like actually thriving again that's it that's it so, and then I, I haven't been on i was diagnosed and went on antidepressants straight away and yes helped and though it only masked the issue it masks your feelings we need to get our feelings out not mask them so great and i'm not telling anyone to go get off their prescribed uh, medication this is just from my own personal experience and i started i, I dealt with this for such a long time and then what made it worse was going on to having that diagnosis or that label that uh, society gives people, uh, and it gave me an excuse. Mm. So things actually got worse after my diagnosis, and then 
I ended up taking myself off the medication uh, and then, yeah, started doing these processes that my wife was doing to other people and then which led me going to do my practitioner's course uh, and, and yeah, starting starting this men's pillar that we have. And that got you back on track. So you, that, that helped you develop a, a practice which you do daily? Yes. Yeah. And what's, how's that yep. look like, mate? What's it look like? My practice? Yeah. Up, reading... My exercise, time with my family, things choosing. So every morning, and this people will, people may not make sense of this, but every morning I get up, I choose myself first. Mm-hmm. So everybody needs to choose themselves first at least once a day. So I've got two kids. We have life on the road. We have a we have a, a company that has uh, over over ten employees that is basically twenty four seven. And at some stage of the day, we always choose ourselves first. For me, it's in the morning because I get up for my family and do my thing. Mm. And it just gets gets you set. So people may think that's selfish. You're not putting your family first. No, 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 no. Putting yourself first at least once a day puts your family first. Yes. yes. Choosing you and something for you is the best way for anyone to help themselves. Agree, mate. And uh, people used to look down on you if you did that. But primarily to be... To, to get to the core of humanology, we've got to do uh, a practice early in the morning to be able to get that equilibrium back again. It's, you know, in, in, yep. in yoga, it's called sadhana. So, you know, getting up in the ambrosial hours before uh, before life sort of takes hold. You know, I've been doing it for about 12 years now in various yep. capacities, but getting up and having the ability to hear nothing, you know, you hear nothing and then all of a sudden yep. you'll hear a bird and then another one and then all of a sudden you'll, you'll see life wake. But but to find that, that peace, you know, within the world and also that peace within yourself, that gives you a great platform to be able to springboard your day from. And if you can connect with your breath, which is the core of your being, the mind, will follow yep. the, the mind will follow the breath, the body will follow the mind, you know. So yep. you get the physical body moving and, you know, all the chemistry in the body starts to work like it should. The, the mind starts to, uh, you know, um, oxygenize and starts to, uh, you know, work better than what it would if, if you are maybe maybe a bit dormant, you know. And, um, and this yeah. is the sort of stuff that they've talked about for thousands of years, mate. We're just sort of starting to uh, come back to it again. Yeah, and the thing is a lot of people... When you say you get up and meditate, a lot of people think meditating, sitting there, doing the hum, <laughs> that's not it. Meditation comes in many forms. For some people, yes, getting up and breathing is perfect. It could be having a beautiful conversation with your loved ones in the morning because what you're not knowing is your unconscious mind is relaxing itself, you're breathing, and you're calm, and that is meditation. Yes. For me, my meditation is getting up and moving. I love going for a run. I like putting my body at, under under pressure, and for me... That is something that clears my head and gets me ready for the day. Yes. Yep. Agree. Yeah, I've been through that journey. I've sort of backed off on the running too, but but running was tremendous for me, mate, because it just you just move through all the the, the judgments and opinions of the mind. They seem to disappear. You, they do. You, your breath gets into a nice rhythm. Your mind, your mind follows that, and then you start to be more kinder to yourself. You know. That, that's it. And being kinder to yourself, in turn, you're kinder to everyone else. That's it. Yeah. So, so really, uh, you know, you hit on something really important there. Um, you know, to to have that me time is is, is really really key. And you know, good on yeah, you, good, good on you for doing it, and you know, putting yourself, uh, you know, out there early in the morning because you know, by by the time your kids get up, you're probably a different person. 
Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And it just, and you can, I'm not saying you need to go spend hours and hours. Find something every day. It could be 10, it only needs to be 10, 15 minutes. Just choosing yourself that for that 10, 15 minutes at any time of the day is the first thing you need to do to, to help yourself. Yes, yeah, agree. Otherwise, mate, the body's smarter and disease comes, you know, and this That's is... It. Well, disease can come below the shoulders or above the shoulders as well, you know. So you've got to have that time. I know some people that work here locally and, and they're like one's got a pub, one's got a coffee shop and they're go, go, go all the time. You know, yeah. I, I can just see something happening at some point, you know, but unfortunately when you're in that rhythm, you, you, you can't switch off and it's, uh, it's really detrimental, you know. There's no point being... It is being, difficult, yeah. Well, there's no point being the richest person in the cemetery, you know. Uh, ah, mate, couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, and that—that's—that's that's where we sort of got out of alignment as humans. You know, we've got to work uh, and, and earn money and those sorts of things, but we've also got to balance. You know, the yin and the yang, as they talk about in Chinese medicine. You know, to have that—that that balance is yep. really key. You know, if you're too yang, then you're going to get kicked in the ass. If you're too yin, you're not doing much. You're not—you're going to get kicked in yes. the ass as well. So, this is ancient wisdom, which is much needed for modern times. It's—it's uh, got to uh, you know come into our lives to have downtime and. And get back to you know uh, connecting with ourselves again. Yeah, and a, b- a big thing in today's day and age too is people are making too many excuses and not holding themselves accountable for putting themselves first. And I I make sense of everyone doing that because I've done that myself in the past where I haven't got up and done the work that I, I'd like to do for myself because my kids have been up all night and that and I'm like oh I'm you put blame on the things around you. So mm. what you need to do, and the big thing is what we try and teach people is to, or show people, I should say, because we don't teach them, we show them, and then they take that on board however they like, yeah. is holding yourself accountable. So I said it on my on my social media the other day, I hadn't done anything for myself the prior three, three mornings. And in the past, I would have blamed the lack of sleep I got from my kids or I was up all night working or something like that. My kids didn't tell me not to get up. My work didn't tell me not to get up. It was my own choice. So mm. in the past, I would have been a little resentful at my work or my children because of that. And now if that happens, I'm like, no, nah, my fault. I chose to stay in bed. I chose to not get up where I could have easily chose to get up and do that work. Yes. So Yeah, good on you, mate. That, that yeah. big accountability piece for everyone too. Yeah, the shift and, uh, you know, really... Same again, uh, seeing a negative, but also turning that negative into a positive. And, uh, you know, what's this trying to teach me? You know, there's actually something good that's coming from this. It's actually going to teach me something which is going to grow me rather than sort of keep me, um, you know, swimming without getting too far. And we talk about post-traumatic growth quite a lot, you know. We can get stuck in the the PTSD and, and that's perfectly... Uh, understandable and uh, you know but to be able to grow from some of the things that have held us back and to have that growth mindset can actually shift us away from um, you know being in those in those dull moments uh, so often would you agree oh yeah a hundred percent yeah look sometimes and sometimes you need to hit rock bottom to grow yes. unfortunately yeah. for some people and uh, that was me at, at, at that stage so yeah mm, amazing mate so so Sounds like you really love what you're doing now and, and you want to try and help people. How can people connect to you uh, to be able to sort of maybe learn a bit about what you do and, uh, and maybe um, get you to give them a hand? Or I think you're doing retreats and that too now, is that right? 
Yes, mate, we've got lots of different uh, avenues uh, that we're trying to help people for and offering guidance uh, through mentorship. Uh, and it's not only mentorship, it's uh, we, do, we, all, we do all facets of personal and professional development. Um, over the since we've started our, our company, we've we've created a fantastic company and make a fantastic income. And the byproduct of that is we've changed a lot of lives. So we've had over 100 clients now, and most of them to begin with were female because of my my wife's uh, the work she has done on social media. So that that's been fantastic. And um, the avenues that you can reach us are generally through all facets of social media so through my wife's page Nadine Muller uh, she has her her uh, website Nadine Muller Coaching and Mentoring we also our men's pillar we created a complete new page for that called Heartled Warriors Heartled underscore Warriors which is also our web website which is uh, heartledwarriors.com.au mm-hmm. all the information is on there if you want to get in contact to us you can email us messages through uh, any of our social media avenues, and we will always always get back to you. So, yeah, great work with the name, mate. I was going to say once you realise that uh, once we connect to our hearts, we're all the same. So it's a great uh, great way to uh, to promote your business because it sounds that's really that's what it's all like. It's all about. Yeah, everything everything you do in life, whether you believe it or not, and when you come and maybe take on a mentorship with us, or you jump into our group containers or group experiences or our retreats, you'll find that everything comes from love and comes from the heart, yeah. whether you like to believe that or not. It, and I'm going to use an example as, as when you grow up as a kid, your parents, you get angry, your parents will tell you not to get angry or your parents will tell you not to cry uh, when you've hurt yourself. And that's that from them, that's coming from love because they just want to comfort you. Yep, so all your feelings, that even anger, all your feelings that you first have come from love from your parents. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, agree, mate. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. That's there to protect us too. As but, is, yes. yeah, as is the mind, you know, the mind's trying to protect us, but we get stuck in that protective mind, negative mind uh, also yes. as well. And we've got to be really aware of that, you know, because once you get out of that back to the heart again, you know, as I said, you, you realise we're all the same, but that's really what it's all about. If you can connect with that more and start to see that more in others, it's amazing, uh, you know, uh, what, what happens to you internally, but also to other people around you as well. Definitely, definitely. Mate, um, yeah. really grateful for the chat. I'm sure we, we're going to have more in the future. I'd love to get you up to uh, Agnes Water and uh, get you to one of our men's circles at some point. And, oh, I would uh, love that, yeah. Yeah, mate. Um, yeah, just well done for doing what you're doing. And um, Thank uh, you. You know, everything happens for a reason, you know. So you've been through what you've been through to come to where you are now. And, you know, there's going to be so much more. Uh, you know, good come from that than what you may have been able to achieve when you if you got into the police force or you stayed in construction or whatever, you know. So, you know, yep. the best is yet to come, yep. mate. So, well done. All, all, all of that happened to me then to get me where I am now. So, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm grateful, for, grateful for all my experiences, whether good, bad or ugly. They've they put me where I am now and, yeah, made me the person I am now. So That's it, mate. I really encourage people to reach out. So, I really appreciate the chat, mate. Good stuff. Mate, thanks very much for having me on. It's been fantastic.